Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Junkies! I am back in the GFL Book 7 Second Draft Wagon. And sure, that wagon might have some wobbly wheels. It might be pulled by a half-dead oxen named Steve. Riding on said wagon will undoubtedly deliver a lot of splinters into my butt cheeks. But that wagon, my friends, that wagon is moving. 84,107 words done in the second draft. The current total of the book is 164,253. That will probably get bigger, but for now, that means I am 51.2% done. Over halfway, baby! woo That's the bulk of what's going on in my life right now. We are waiting for the hardcovers of The Gangster to arrive so we can ship them out to you. If you haven't ordered and you want to, that is scottsigler.com slash thegangster. Remember, if you order a hardcover, we also ship you a 24 by 36 poster of the Siglerverse where you can follow the travels of the Touchback and Quentin Barnes and the rest of the crew all across the galaxy as you read. And, and it will be perfectly suitable for the crypt as well. So it is pretty cool. So we're waiting on those books to come in. We think we will have most of the books shipped out by Labor Day, but that depends on the shipping industry, which is unpredictable right now due to COVID. And speaking of COVID, if you are still not vaccinated, get on it. There is so much misinformation out there. A major scientific accomplishment that benefits the vast majority of humanity is still being turned into a political football. The vaccine will not make you magnetic. There are no trackers in it. It is not the mark of the beast. It is not a trick of the lying mainstream media who apparently hates America and wants it to burn. It's actually a great thing that will keep you from getting sick and possibly save your life. Millions and millions of doses have been given, and the people who got it make up less than 1% of those in American hospitals with COVID right now, which means 99% of the people in American hospitals with COVID are not vaccinated. I might not be a math major, but that sounds like pretty good odds to get vaccinated to me. If what I just said offends you, that's okay. We don't always have to agree. I don't want you to get sick. I don't want you to die. No matter what your political beliefs are, I love you anyways. Let's get caught up on the gangster story, and then we are all going to hopefully go get vaccinated. Previously on The Gangster, Quentin and Killian have dealt with both the threat of Greedock the Splithead and the Kretorakian Empire. Now, Quentin presses to learn more about Killian's past, but finds instead a possible future of staggering disaster. All the News it was hard to believe it was over. With Quentin's crimes forgiven, Killian left the Oleron on full power. The crew had moved back into the ship. Quentin had a small cabin of his own. The cot there was still too small for him, and he was still sleeping on the floor, but it was light years better than the asteroid's cold stone. Virak and Masal remained in the abandoned mine, 
tending to Greedock's needs, making sure no non-quith came near him. Masal didn't seem interested in talking to Quentin. Maybe that would change after Greedock's Toltafine completed. Maybe not. It was beyond Quentin's control. Quentin sat at the small desk in Killian's quarters, flipping through the stories on his palm-up display. Aya had beamed two weeks of news coverage over from one of the bad ships. Killian was sitting on the edge of the bed, the open cooler between his big feet. Bottles of Miller Lager stuck up from the ice. As Quentin tried to catch up on the news, so much of it about his abduction and the response to it, one story caught his attention, chilled him to the core. When the bats were coming, you said the Olerun had been on a planet called MT-734, right? MT-734? Killian sipped at his beer. I don't think I said that. Yes, you did, Quentin said. These stories say it's suddenly not punchable. People can't figure out how that could be. Some fringe theories say that an experimental weapon detonated there. The League of Planets, the Union, and the Tribal Accord have mobilized their border fleets. No one knows why. Apparently, each suspects the other for what happened on MT-734. Were you there, Dad? Is that how you got that cargo container? Killian stared off. I'm not drunk enough for this conversation just yet. Give me a minute. With that, he chugged the beer, started in on another. Quentin didn't feel up to lecturing Killian this time. Hell, Quentin said, holding out his hand. Give me one. Killian obliged. Quentin took a long pull, thinking about the ramifications of the news. The Tribal Accord was already a hot spot with secessionist elements trying to break away from both Kretorakian rule and from the tribal leaders that cooperated with the Bats. Significant tension remained between the Prawat Jihad and the Sklorno dynasty. Chalton the Moral had openly threatened Quith Concordia action against the Empire if Quentin wasn't accounted for. Kretorakians did not take kindly to threats of any stripe. And now the League and Union might be at each other's throats again? If any of this blows up, Quentin said, the bats are going to have a hard time controlling it, starting to feel like we're on the brink of another galactic war. Killian took a sip. Yeah, it does feel that way. Even with the rising stakes involved, the political news was merely a distraction from the coverage of Quentin's kidnapping and what came after. He'd read or watched story after story about Becca's tireless efforts to get the word out that Quentin had been abducted. Stories about the protests and the damage done the arrests, the deaths. Stories about how the Kretorakian government first refused to answer any question about his disappearance, then their claim that Quentin was legally detained for possible crimes against the state, and, finally, that he was actually in protective custody. The government's lies had only made the protests worse. This is madness, he said. So many deaths, so much pain. Quentin tapped off his palm up. He drank, realizing that Killian was right. Beer in glass bottles did taste better than beer in mag cans. Quentin set the bottle on the desk. He absently stared at the label, tried to deal with his conflicting emotions. He'd never felt more relieved, more ashamed, and more used in all his life. Quentin had stood in front of a camera and lied, said that the bats had been protecting him all along, that he was fine, that he hadn't been harmed in any way. His words washed away any real chance at justice. 
From that instant on, if he ever told the truth about what he'd been through, if he talked about the torture, who would believe him? By now, Quentin's image and the message the bats wanted everyone to hear were spreading across the galaxy, carried on punch beacons from one system to the next. He wouldn't know the results of those words for a few more days, not until Greedock's transformation completed and the Oleran could leave Kretoraki in space. Can't believe I said all that stuff. I can't believe it. You did what you had to do, Killian said. You didn't have any choice. That couldn't be more wrong. Quentin had many choices. He'd picked the one that protected him and his family. What about the sentients who had died during the protests in his name? When his empire-proved propaganda spread through the galaxy, how would the families of those dead sentients feel? Would they think their loved ones had thrown their lives away while Quentin was safe and warm, under the protection of the bats? He didn't know. At least it's over, Quentin said. If you're not going to tell me about MT-734, then we've got time for one of your long stories. Can you tell me about the Keeling? Nope, Killian said. Why not? Because I'm not ready to do that yet. Then tell me more about your past. I'm not going to do that either, Killian said. Look, I want to share all of this with you, but this isn't just about you. My crew is my responsibility. We function best when we're unknowns. You're quite famous. Who knows what predicaments you'll wind up in next. It's best for my crew if you know as little as possible. At least for now. Killian kept a positive tone, but Quentin could read between the lines. Killian wasn't going to come out and say, You were questioned and you broke. If you're questioned again, you can't share information that you don't have in the first place. Quentin would have been offended, save for the fact that Killian was right. Killian had a past. Killian had secrets. So, too, apparently, did his crew. Quentin wondered what things Aya, Zan, and Beans could have done, wondered who might be after them. Fair enough, Quentin said. Can you at least tell me if Melvin Morris was a real person, or did you make that name up? Killian polished off the beer, grabbed yet another. He offered one to Quentin. Quentin took it, set it on the desk next to his half-empty first. Morris was a soldier on ancient earth, Killian said. I came across his story and found it inspiring. I got a lot of names I've gone by in the past. And yes, why I used each name is a long story. Someday, Quentin, someday I'll tell you everything. Quentin drank the rest of his first beer. Was Killian really trying to protect his crew, or was he trying to protect Quentin? Dad, everything that went down, everything that's happened, this is all so shucking crazy. He'd used the word dad without thinking about it, and not for the first time either. The word was seductively easy to say. Hadn't this been what Quentin had always wanted? Hadn't he searched the stands and stadiums around the galaxy, hoping to see this man? Killian had rescued him. Killian had helped Quentin end Greedock's threat. Did that make up for being gone all those years? For all the pain and suffering Quentin had endured as an orphan? Maybe. It wasn't the kind of math that came to a neat total. 
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Killian drained his beer, slid the empty into the ice, pulled out a fresh one. I've seen the same reports you have, he said. You know you can't hide from it anymore, right? Hide from what? From your responsibility as a leader, Killian said. There were uprisings because you vanished. Not just in one place, all over the galaxy. Uprisings against a government that uses lethal force to put down dissent. Sentience knew that, yet they rose up anyway. Maybe you started out as a sports celebrity, but you're more than that now. Far more. Quentin cringed inside. You're not still trying to get me to help against the Abernessia, are you? Not now. What better time than now? What better place than here? The Abernessians are coming, Q. They are coming. Quentin thought about the fleets mobilizing in reaction to whatever had happened on MT-734. He thought about what he'd seen in the cargo hold. A device that could destroy an entire planet. What if someone used a device like that on a planet that Becca and the baby happened to be on? If you want me to consider helping against the Abernessia, then you need to tell me about MT-734. Tell me about the bomb. How does it work? Killian shrugged. We have no idea. The people who made it called it a cruncher. We saw one go off. It's a nightmare. An entire planet collapsing in on itself, like a like an invisible hand crushing a snowball, smaller and smaller, until there's no snowball at all. How does it work? Until Beans can figure it out, you'd have to ask the goddamn aliens from another shucking galaxy. The older man's hand trembled, making the beer inside his bottle froth up slightly. He chugged it, then twisted open the top of yet another bottle. 
Maybe he had a small cargo hold full of the stuff. Quentin wished Kimberlin was there. Big Mike knew so much about so many things. Quentin felt a wash of loneliness. He missed Becca and John and Jew and Chodo and Ma and Janine, all of whom could die if this alien invasion conspiracy theory turned out to be real. He thought of what the Portath had shown him, the images of their home planet being turned into a ball of fire, utterly destroyed. All life on it, gone. Quentin hadn't wanted to believe, but not believing was getting harder and harder to do. How did you come to possess the Cruncher? Killian thought for a moment. He took a long swig, thought some more. I'm not going to get into the details, he said. Not yet. I'll tell you that we had a job that took us to where the bombs were being made. More distrust. And, again, Quentin couldn't blame him. Did you actually see the Abernessians? No, we didn't, Killian said. We saw a picture of what might have been a transmitter of some kind to contact the fleet that's supposedly on the way. The transmitter was hundreds of years old. If it was real, the Abernessians had been planning this invasion for a long, long time. They got advanced forces here, trying to mess up the galaxy's political relationships. Have you heard of the Vermada? Quentin shook his head. They're an offshoot of the Zoroastrian Guild, Killian said. Really nasty pieces of work. As crazy as it sounds, it looks like the advanced elements of the Abernessia infiltrated or influenced the Guild. No one knows if it's really the Abernessians or if they figured out how to contact sentience in this galaxy, but they turned the Guild on itself. Money talks, it seems, and in the Vermada's case, that money is massive and untraceable in the form of gemstones, Quentin said. Killian lowered his beer. So you have heard of them? I guess so, Quentin said. I just didn't know there was a name for them. The Vermada. The dark side of the already dark-as-the-void Zoroastrian guild. They were working with the Abernessians? Based on what Kimberlin had said, about how the guild had changed, all the infighting, how the group started bombing civilian targets instead of focusing on the Kretorakian military, that possible connection seemed to line up. The Vermada, Killian said. That's who built a cruncher. The Abernessians somehow transmitted the cruncher plans here. The guy who was responsible for it, well, he ain't around no more. Quentin wanted details, but there was no point in asking for them. Killian would share what he wanted to share, and no more. But if all of this is true, then the Guild, or at least this Vermada, is helping the Abernessians conquer the galaxy, helping them to possibly destroy planets, kill billions. Why would anyone do that? Killian smiled a dark smile. Money talks, he said, and power screams. Maybe the collaborators have been told a new order is coming, whether they play ball or not and that if they help, they'll be part of a ruling class. Maybe they've been told the damage will only be in specific areas, or the bombs will only be used against bat planets. If you're shocked that sentience would betray their own kind and help an enemy force in order to advance their own agenda, you need to read more history. Quentin wasn't much of a history student, but he knew enough to realize his question had been naive. Sentience always wanted more. Sometimes, they didn't care who died to get it. How many crunchers are there? Quentin heard Killian's breathing slow down. The man was trying to stay calm. 
Killian drained the rest of his beer, rested the empty bottle on the cabin floor. There were six, he said. We have one. One was detonated, I guess you'd call it. One was destroyed. The Vermada got away with three of them. The small cabin felt claustrophobic, too confined. Killian was having difficulty talking, and not just because the beer was setting in. The man was terrified. Quentin had an urge to run somewhere, anywhere. I have no idea where the other three crunchers are, Killian said. At this point, I don't really know anything at all, other than that it took the Vermont years to build the bomb factory. Maybe a decade, maybe more. I don't know when the Abernessian fleet will arrive. Quentin wondered if Petra Prawat knew. Could there be other bomb factories out there? Killian half shrugged, half shook his head. The sentient we were working with doesn't think so, he said. They need a place they can control, totally isolate, and there aren't many places like that anymore. MT-734 was unique in that regard. And they apparently need real gravity to make the crunchers so they can't be made on ships. Don't ask me why, because I don't know. My guy's guess is that MT-734 was the only factory. There are three crunchers out there. Three. Three bombs meant three planets destroyed, if this drunken old man knew what he was talking about. The Abernessy could bring more bombs with them, Quentin said. Right? Killian nodded. His eyes were getting glassy. Yeah, I'm sure they will. The three that are here now, in our galaxy, will probably be used to take out key planets and soften us up before the Abernessian fleet arrives. They'll hit governmental seats. Imagine if they destroyed Quith, Earth, and Tower, for example. Imagine the chaos and panic. The disorganization. Before the enemy even arrived, billions would die. Entire governments might collapse. That's why they hid him in the cargo containers, Quentin said. To hide them in plain sight, then wait. Quentin had seen containers just like it on every planet he'd visited. On trucks, in storage yards, on ships. There are close to a billion cargo containers in the galaxy, Killian said. Even though the bombs are big, in that form, they're basically invisible. He was starting to slur his words. Could governments search every cargo container in the galaxy? Could they even find every cargo container, especially ones that weren't registered or reported destroyed or stolen? Three bombs were out there. What if they were already hidden in the back of some warehouse or had been buried? Even if all governments could be persuaded to cooperate in a coordinated search, which wasn't likely, finding those bomb-laden containers was an impossible task. Killian drained his beer, slid the empty bottle into the ice, pulled out a new bottle. Another round? Quentin drained his, traded his empty for a fresh one. Both men twisted their caps, then clinked the bottles together. To the end of the galaxy, Killian said. Four billion years of evolution and indigenous life. Not a bad run. Is there anything else you can tell me about the bombs? Killian slowly shook his head. Maybe I sound like a bad movie, but I've already said too much. He laughed. Quentin didn't get the joke. The talk of the Abernessia 
the bombs, and the uprisings had dragged Quentin further into the depths of depression. He needed to change the subject. I'll drink, but not to that, he said. Here's to Mom. Killian winced, slightly, as if he'd been bitten by an insect. You never even knew her, he said. She was amazing. Even sitting on the edge of his bed, Killian swayed slightly. His beer buzz was really hitting home. He looked old, sad, and lost. Maybe I'll tell you about her sometime, Killian said. After this is over. If there is an after. The man drained the bottle in one long pull, slid the empty into the ice, and opened another, all before Quentin had taken a second sip. Was that his ninth beer? His tenth? The man could drink. He and John and Jew would have gotten along just fine. Quentin had known his father for all of a few days, yet he didn't doubt that the man was telling the truth about MT-734. Was Petra right about the invasion fleet after all? And if she was right about that, was she right about Quentin's ability to unite different cultures to face that fleet? You said the bomb crushed the planet, Quentin said. So the the planet, what, shrinks? Killian huffed, shook his head slightly, maybe trying to block out what he'd seen. Yeah, shrinks is a good word, he said. Don't ask me how. I'm no physicist. Beans and Xantala think it punches some kind of proby thing down to the center of a planet, then triggers something that shucks up gravitational pull. I don't know, Q. I just fly the damn ship. Xantala? Killian stared blankly at Quentin for a moment. Yes, Xan, he said. She's the physicist. Ask her. No, not that. You said Xantala. Killian sniffed. Nuh-uh, I didn't. Yeah, you did. The older man scowled. You know what? It's beautiful. That's what it is. Quentin wasn't sure what exactly was beautiful. Killian leaned back, resting his shoulders and head against the bulkhead. He rubbed his eyes. It's not something I want to talk about right now, but I didn't tell you the best part of our little adventure. The planet squished. Near the end, jets of magma shot out with so much power, they escaped the planet's gravitational pull. The outside of those jets cooled instantly. The Oleron had to dodge kilometers-long spheres of magma-filled volcanic rock. Killian pounded his beer. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Gone. He pushed off the wall with the back of his head, leaned forward, jammed the empty into the ice, pulled out a fresh bottle. Maybe you should slow down, Quentin said. Killian was lost in his story. Didn't seem to hear Quentin's words. The older man's eyes were wide and blinking. We wanted to go after the ship that had the three crunchers, but then Zan said, hey, Skipper, hey, in a minute we won't be able to punch. And I said, hey, Zan, what do you mean we won't be able to punch? And she said, hey, Skipper, I'm not yanking your chain over here. We need to get giddy up and gone. And I said, no, wait, maybe Aya said, no, wait, maybe Aya said get giddy up gone. Q, are you a young person? Does that sound like something the young people slang? Killian's trembling hand raised the bottle to his lips. Beer spilled out onto his chest. He shook his head. He was breathing heavily, as if he'd just run a sprint or two. I don't know, Dad. I'm not really up on slang. 
Craziest thing I ever saw, Killian said. And trust me, young person people, I have seen some crazy stuff in my day. He drank. Killian was a wreck. That was the only word for it. Drunk, recalling what sounded like a nightmare beyond comprehension, he was breaking down. The bum we got was on a truck, he said. We drove the damn thing out of there. We couldn't get to the other three. We just couldn't. Beans is working on a way to detect him, but shuck if he knows how right now. He looked down at himself, saw his shirt was wet with beer. Ah, shuck. Not just a drunk, a sloppy drunk. Killian used his sleeve to wipe the beer from his face and from his chest and from his crotch. Dad, why is the engineer of a freighter working on that and not entire governments? If what you say is true, everyone should be working on it. Killian tried to slide the empty bottle back into the ice. He missed. The bottle clinked off the cooler's edge, slid from his hand, and landed on the floor. It rolled to a stop against Quentin's foot. Because of the Vermada diddly-doo, Killian said as he lay back on his bed. They're embedded in governments. No one knows we have the bomb. Just me, my crew, two other sentients, and you. As long as it's secret, we're okay. But if we told anyone, and I mean anyone, the Vermada Dadas would throw the kitchen sink at destroying the bomb, and then we got nothing. It's not my call to make anyways. It's, it's... The man's words trailed off, replaced by an almost instant snore. Quentin stared at his father. Some hero of the galaxy you turned out to be, Pops. And yet, Maybe that's exactly what Killian was. The man was a drunk, and probably worse, but since when had being sober been a prerequisite for doing heroic things? Quentin grabbed the blanket bunched up on the foot of the bed. He draped it over his passed-out father. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. 
the team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.